difference between a, a, a Christian and a non-Christian? And does it really make any difference to be a Christian? Uh, let me tell you about Flora. She has been a Christian now for nearly 50 years, and she regularly, you know, throughout her life has been reading a Bible and, and uh, talking to the Lord in prayer. Uh, she always loved going to church, always loved singing uh, God's praises with his people. And, but the truth is, in the last few years, she struggled to get out to church. Uh, she misses it so much. Uh, a number of health problems. Some of her organs in her body are not working as they used to. And she struggles to get out of the house. She's fallen a few times, and it's really dented her confidence she needs carers to come in a few times a day just to help take care of her basic bodily needs. And the problem is that things just seem to keep getting worse. Her body just gets worse. It's not getting any better. She'd never imagined that you could go downhill so fast. And um, she struggles to concentrate as she's reading a Bible now. And her thoughts are becoming quite dark and gloomy. Does trusting Jesus make any difference? Well, what does God have to say? Well, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And you'll find that on page 1134. Uh, in the church Bibles, page 1134, Romans chapter 8. This morning we're going to focus on verses 5 to 11, but let's take the time to read from verse 1. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
because of his spirit who lives in you. This is God's word. And isn't it so encouraging? We began to consider this chapter last week. Uh, it's a chapter full of assurance for the Christian. And this is a strap line that kind of covers the whole chapter, the very first verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely transforming truth. Because any honest self-reflection will reveal that we deserve condemnation because of our selfishness and our sin. When we compare our lives to what the Bible describes as the righteous life of God, well, we fall well short. We're prone to breaking his commands. Uh, we would have to agree with the Bible, if we're honest, that there is no one righteous. We're all sinners. We're under condemnation. That's why it's incredible and wonderful to hear that it is possible to be in a state where there is now no condemnation. Amazing. But we see from verse 1 that this is not automatic for everyone. It's for a particular group of people. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you were here last week, uh, last week, you remember that we've talked about this important doctrine. The Bible says that when you put your trust in Jesus, your life is united with Jesus. You know, how can you get to Tenerife? Uh, well, you, you're not going to be able to swim there. You're going to have to unite your life to an airplane. And as you trust the whole of your life into this tin can uh, and, it, and everything goes well, you will end up in ten, Tenerife. Well, how are you going to get to God? It, it's impossible for you to do this yourself because of your sin and condemnation. But actually, uh, what we could not do, God did for us through his son. The divine son entered our world, took on human flesh. He became genuinely human. He was like us in every way except in this way. He was sinless. He was perfect. He never broke the commands of God. In fact, his life was fully righteous. It pleased God in every way in, in what he said and what he did and what he thought. Everything about him was righteous. And why did God send his perfect son into the world? Uh, not merely to be a display. Look, this is what you should be, but this is what you are. That would be amazing to know what we should be. But actually, he sent his son, it says in these verses, to be a sin offering. This was the purpose why God came in human flesh, in his son, to be a sin offering. Like uh, Our sin and condemnation deserves the punishment of God. And Jesus comes into the world and willingly offers himself as a sacrifice for sinners. Sinner's condemnation falls on Christ instead of sinners. And so therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because he's paid for it fully. And we rejoice that not only do we see the truth that he's dealt with the guilt and condemnation, but actually the, 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 uh, the perfect moral record, the character of Christ is counted as ours. You know, when we're in Christ, God sees us in Christ as having fully met all the righteous requirements of the law. Amazing. No condemnation. That's why the Christian can have complete assurance and joy uh, that they're free from the condemnation of God. We've just sung that glorious hymn. On that judgment day, there's nothing to fear. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But then what follows, I suppose, is a very logical question. Like, we get it, we get it. I see it now. Um, if I'm in Christ, there's no condemnation. But how do I know? 
that I'm in Christ? How do I know that I'm a Christian? And the answer given in these verses is this. When God's Holy Spirit lives in you. How do I know I'm free from the condemnation of God? By the presence of God's Spirit living in you. And these verses kind of divide into two subsections. In verses 5 to 8, we get a description of the difference that God's Spirit makes in a person's life. You know, I can hear your your next question because you're saying, okay, there's no condemnation if I'm in Christ and I know uh, I'm in Christ when I have the Holy Spirit. So how do I know I've got the Holy Spirit? Well, that's what verses 5 to 8 are about. Look, Look at the incredible difference of the person who has the Spirit of God and the person who doesn't have the Spirit of God. And then verses 9 to 11, Paul applies this to the church in Rome to encourage them. And to encourage them to see how having the Holy Spirit in their lives changes everything for both now and their future. So that's what we're going to cover. What difference does it make to have God's Spirit living in you? Well, it means firstly that we have different minds now. And secondly, it means that we'll have transformed bodies to come. That's where we're heading this morning. So what difference does it make? First thing, different minds now. See, when God's Spirit comes into your life, you have a fundamental change. There are two categories of people. He describes here the strong contrast between flesh and spirit. Now, what does he mean by this? Uh, This is not a contrast between two types of Christians. Uh, There were some forms of teaching that have happened in uh, Christianity which talks about uh, the carnal Christian and then the spirit-filled Christian, that you can have sort of a, a basic conversion to Christ, and then secondarily, later, there's a sort of a second baptism where you, you, get, to the, you get the spirit and you get taken up to the next level. Uh, the, the spirit-filled life over against the carnal Christian life. Now, I hope by the end of the sermon, you're going to see that it can't possibly mean that. Neither is it a contrast between... Um, Uh, Two types of people. There are some uncultured people and cultured people. I mean, you could take the spirit in that sort of sense. Is it saying, look, there are some people who just live for their base bodily appetites. They're just driven by their appetites. But you get some people who transcend these basic bodily needs and they they care about, uh, they're spiritual people who care about truth and beauty and love. They're into poetry and art and architecture and they're, they're kind of cultured people and they're, they're sort of spiritual people in some way. No, it's not saying that. What it's talking about here, the difference between flesh and spirit, really is talking about um, the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. Um, the flesh really is referring to our fallen, selfish, egocentric human nature untouched by God's Spirit. While the Spirit refers to God's Holy Spirit. We're going to see this as we read through the section. God's Holy Spirit who invades our lives and transforms us from the inside out. So it's the contrast fundamentally between the non-Christian and the Christian. 
And it says, look, there's basically two fundamental ways of, of existing. You're either of the flesh or of the spirit of God. And how do you know this? Well, because there's two different minds. Look at verse 5. Uh, those who live according to their flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. See, some people have their minds set on what the flesh wants, and they demonstrate that they're of the flesh. Some people have their, their minds set on what the, the Spirit desires, and they show they're of the Spirit. So... What's it talking about? What the flesh desires. Now, it's not just talking about the crime section of the newspaper. You know, when people kind of pursue all their appetites to an extreme and get themselves into trouble with the law. Uh, that, 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 that's too simplistic to think that's what the flesh is about. It's not just about the crime section. It's about all the other sections in the newspaper. You know, it's, it's about the business section and the sports section and the fashion section and the home section and the, and the monies and the relationship section. It's, the flesh is all the stuff of life that we get preoccupied with, but without any regard or thought for God. Uh, work through most of the newspapers any given day, you'll find there's very little of God there because it's busily getting on with the flesh, the things of the world, without regard for God. While those who have in mind what the Spirit desires, they show they're of the Spirit. You know, Christians still uh, live in the same world. They still care about all the practical things of life and want to live in homes and have clothes and all the rest of it. And they, but, but fundamentally... They see all those things in relationship to God. Their thinking is God-centered rather than self-centered. They see behind the creation a creator who is worthy to be worshipped and served and praised in, in, in everyday life. They hunger to know this God, to, to know what his word says, to, to obey it, to follow it, to do what pleases God. Of course they care about food and clothes and houses, but they seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Those the, that's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And I suppose the question for you and for me today is, what's our mindset? What's your mindset today? What is your mindset on? Because it reveals who you fundamentally are, whether you're of the flesh or of the spirit, whether you're a non-Christian or a Christian. What is it that dominates your thoughts? What is it that drives you forward? What preoccupies your thinking, your interests? What are you passionate about? What stirs your emotions? What do you find yourself talking about? Well, that reveals who you fundamentally are. And it tells you something very significant about your relationship with God both now and for all eternity. So there's two different types with two different mindsets. And in verse 6, it talks about two fundamental different spiritual states. The mind, verse 6, governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Why does the non-Christian go through life with no regard for God? Because the mind of the flesh is death. It's spiritually dead. 
See, I meet lots of wonderful people in Edinburgh. In fact, many of my neighbors are a lot nicer than me. And they're so full of creativity and life. But do you know what I notice? They don't want to talk about Jesus. In fact, if I mention Jesus, they look really embarrassed. And they start slowly walking away from me. I never hear them praising God. They don't desire to read the Bible. I've invited them a few times. Like, Would you like to read the Bible with me? Uh, a bit busy. A bit busy, sorry. They have no desire to kind of come to church, really. They just get on with their lives without any regard for God. See, with regard to God, they are as insensitive and unresponsive as a corpse. They go through life seemingly blind to God's handiwork in all of creation. They say, oh, where's God? I can't see God. <laughs> when he's evidenced in everything around them. And they are deaf to his word. I'll never forget the evening I invited a couple of friends uh, to a carol service. It was a brilliant carol service. The orchestra was in tune. The singing was amazing. And the guy who spoke did a brilliant job. I mean, he was fantastic. He was engaging. Didn't use any jargon. He explained the good news of Christmas and, and shared the good news about Jesus. And, and it made me just full of joy. My heart was bursting. And, you know, the final song, uh, I, I, you know, you're just singing it with loudly because it's just, it just such joy at this good news message. And as we walked out with him, I turned to him. I said, now, what did you think of tonight? And one of my friends turned to me. She said, I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Spiritually dead. Brilliant, intelligent people, but with regard to God, death. Now, how completely different when you meet someone who's born again, uh, spirit transformed, their spiritual life, they're alive to God. There's a deep, a deep joy and peace in Christ. I don't know if you've had this experience. You, you meet someone for the first time, and, and then as the conversation goes on, you think, ah, there's something different about this person. Is it about the way they talk or their attitude? There's something about it, but you're saying to yourself, I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would bet that this was a Christian. And so you just drop into the conversation something about Jesus, and you see their face light up. And they say, oh, you know Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian too. Oh, that's life, isn't it? The Spirit of God has made them alive. It changes everything. Uh, I'm going to embarrass Matthew Walker now. He'll never come back to church again. But uh, uh, Matthew, is, um, uh, I've seen him come through youth group, and I, he knew the gospel, shared the gospel with him. Lights weren't on. Goes to Seychelles, and uh, God calls to him. And he's spiritually alive. And he finds out that some of the guys in the course with, also is a Christian, and they're reading the Bible together. Life. It's God's spirit. Transforming people. And it's, and, it's, and it's palpable when the Spirit of God comes in. It's visible too. Two patterns of conduct. Verse 7 and 8. The, the mind 
governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So here's a clear contrast, isn't it? Um, this is why this can't be referring to two types of Christian. You could not say of the Christian that they are hostile to God, that they're enemies of God. That, that doesn't make sense at all. But this is the case for the non-Christian. And you say, well, that's, that's, that seems a bit harsh. I mean, I, I've got some friends, they're not Christians, but and they don't seem hostile to God. They, they don't seem to mind that I'm a Christian. They, you know, they sometimes talk about me. You know, maybe there's something there. They don't seem hostile. Um, you know, occasionally they've even come to church with me. Are they really hostile to God? Well, I want to suggest to you that if you offer to read the Bible with them and suggest as you read the Bible that they started conforming their life to the Bible, if they began to acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ over all of their life and they should bring their life into line with the Bible, then you will see the hostility. And this is what we're seeing in our culture at the moment, isn't it? Uh, People, if they want to think of God, they want to have a God who's just a God of love. No holiness. Uh, Self-indulgent God who says, well, love is love. Whatever. You know, whatever you want to do sexually is fine with me. Love is love. That's the sort of the God that people want to believe in if they want to think of a God like that. And so consequently, uh, when someone says, no, God is a God of love and holiness. And how we live matters. God designed sex between a man and a woman uh, in an exclusive relationship. And any sex outside of that actually is, is going against the will of God, is breaking his commands and puts us under the condemnation of God. And if you say those things, you'll be no platformed at the Usher Hall. You'll be no platformed uh, at the SEC Hydro. That, there is hostility shown. We don't want that. Here's the hostility. That's hate speech. That's hate speech. Well, we're seeing it, aren't we? Uh, The rich young ruler. Do you know what? You can be uh, religious and hostile to God. The rich young ruler who uh, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. He's clearly a moral, religious man. I've obeyed all the commandments, he says. What must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, oh, just one thing, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And what's going on there is that Jesus is is showing him and letting him see that actually God is not his God. His money is his God. That's what he lives for. That's what he idolizes. And so with the greatest opportunity to go and personally know Jesus and follow Jesus, he turns around and walks away sad. Because the mind of the flesh, the gun by flesh, is hostile to God. It cannot please God. It does not want to please God. And that's why the only hope is not in ourselves, but in the sovereign grace of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, another upstanding religious ruler within Israel, you must be born again. You are spiritually dead unless God's Holy Spirit comes inside you and brings you to life, overturning your spiritual hostility and giving you a responsive heart that, that, that wants to repent of your sin and trust 
Christ. It's not something that the flesh can achieve. And so we want to be people who make a difference in the world. We, we care about social justice. We care about poverty. We care about you know, the terrible abuse that is going on in our culture. And we want to help people. But we know actually that, that people's greatest need can only be fixed by God. And that's why we want to be those who love people enough to share the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that is in him and, and hold out the gospel by which if people can be born again. And the contrast could not be greater, could it, between those who are in the flesh and of the spirit. How do you know that you're in Christ? That you're free from God's condemnation? By the presence of God's spirit in your life. It's fundamentally different. And then the Apostle Paul turns to apply this to the church in Rome. Look at verse 9 again. You, plural, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I guess the church in Rome is just like our church today. In the room today, there's a whole mix of people, all sorts of different backgrounds. Some people have been Christians for many years. Some people aren't Christians. And they want to check out what, what is this about. Uh, they're here and they're not there yet. They kind of hear it, but they don't quite get it. And so uh, the Apostle Paul reckons that there must be people like that in Rome. So he says, well, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And notice this. You cannot belong to Christ. You cannot be a Christian unless you have the Spirit of Christ. Which is why this is a passage is not about two types of Christians. You know, the carnal and the spiritual. You simply cannot be a Christian without the Spirit of God. It's an impossibility. And look at this wonderful description. To have the Spirit of God, verse 9, means that you have the Spirit of Christ. Uh, as, as Christians down the years have read their Bibles, they've wrestled with this truth that there's only one God and he exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And when you see it, you see it all through Scripture. At creation, there is God before all of creation. And he speaks. And the Spirit is hovering over the deep. And the creation happens. Uh, have a look at Psalm 33, verse 6, some stage. Not now. Do it later. Uh, when it rains later this afternoon. Uh, have a look at Psalm 33, verse 6. And see how God speaking forms the stars and by his breath, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit involved in creation. And they're equally involved in new creation. And there's this profound essential unity between Father, Son, and Spirit. So that to have the Spirit of God, you, you have the Spirit of Christ. And if you have the Spirit of Christ, verse 10, Christ is in you. We've come up with this term theologically called Trinity. It's not in the Bible, but it's trying to describe this tri-unity, Trinity. And the Apostle Paul has absolutely no doubt that these people in the church in Rome 
that the Spirit of God lived in them. And so he wants to encourage them. Encourage them what this means. And it means transformation both now and forever. Look at verse 10 for now. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. One thing is not different between the non-Christian and the Christian is that we still have physical bodies that descended from Adam are corrupted by sin. And so we experience illnesses, diseases, decay, and death. Um, coronavirus may not get you, but something's going to get you. We are decaying to death. Uh, we eventually dry up and turn to dust. That's the physical bodies that we've got. And not only that, but because of Adam's sin, this, this body, that, that this flesh, is prone to disobey God and to, to not follow his commands. And, 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 and we have this frustrating wrestle that I have with selfishness and sin in my life. This is what I wrestle with, and it's so discouraging. And the thing is, we mustn't just focus on the physical bodies. You know, what Flora's made up. I don't know who that woman in the picture was. I just called her Flora. I made up Flora. Uh, but actually, there's loads of Floras in our church, aren't there? Uh, there's lots of people experiencing these very things in our fellowship. You know, look around today, notice who's not here, and why don't you think about this week, going to visit them, and if they're really, their health, and they're physically struggling, why don't you go with them and share with them Romans 8? Because this is so encouraging. You know, if I merely look at my decaying, dying body, I will be very depressed. But we need to point them to this reality of verse 10. Christ is in you. By his Holy Spirit. You have spiritual life. And we need to remind each other of how we see, have seen the Spirit of God at work in each other's lives. Remember the day you trusted Christ. Remember how everything began to change from that day forwards. Suddenly the gospel made sense. Suddenly you knew it was true for you. Suddenly you felt sinfulness but you also felt great joy because your sins were forgiven because you trusted Christ suddenly the Bible came alive you wanted to read it suddenly church wasn't boring you wanted to come to church you wanted to sing God's praises you love being with the people of God well what explains this only this Christ is in you by his spirit nothing else explains this spiritual life this is not natural this is not of the flesh. It's because the Spirit of God is in you. And we need to remind Flora and people like Flora that this is the case. Uh, Ray Ortland uh, tweeted this yesterday. The Holy Spirit is not a performance-enhancing drug for Olympic Christians. He is life for the dead, strength 
for the weak, hope for the exhausted, cleansing for the filthy, wisdom for the wayward. Our dear friend, the Holy Spirit, is through the merit of Jesus for us. We go out into the next day, the rest of this day, with Christ in us. If you are in Christ. The Spirit of God goes with us. Uh, Christ has not merely dealt with my sins in the past and one day he's coming back for me. He's in me by his Spirit. And that changes everything, doesn't it? If we turn to him, look to him, be strengthened by him. And look, secondly, it not only just changes the now, but it changes of what is to come. Verse 11. If the Spirit lives in you, Who is this spirit? Well, the very spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Who's in you? The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. God raised his son from the dead to everlasting life by his spirit. And if that spirit is in you, then you also will be raised from the dead. We sang it in that hymn from Zinzendorf. Don't you love that name, Zinzendorf? When we arise from dust with resurrected, transformed, glorious bodies that are never wayward to sin, that that are fully fitted for all eternity to enjoy God and to enjoy the new heavens and the earth for all eternity, that will be mine. It's guaranteed because the spirit who did it for Christ will do it for me if that spirit lives in me does it make a difference to be a Christian would you say Hmm. just everything changes it means I've got a brand new mindset now it means I've got Christ in me now even though my body's decaying and dying who knows coronavirus may take me but guess what all it's going to do is turn me to dust I'm going to get raised because Christ is in me. It makes all the difference in the world. My friends, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're sitting there and you're going, what is he getting so excited about? What on earth is he talking about? I don't know what you're talking about. Then you should diagnose that you are still in the flesh. That you're not a Christian yet. And if you are concerned about that, that encourages me because I don't think you'd be concerned about it unless the Spirit of God is beginning to move upon you. And I'd say to you, call out to him to have mercy upon you, to give you life, to turn your hostility to friendship, to give you spiritual life by his Holy Spirit. There's a a prayer you could use in the bulletin. We're going to have communion in a moment. And uh, if you're not a Christian, I I would discourage you from taking the bread and the wine. It's for for Christians. But maybe you could look at that prayer and decide, actually, is this what you want to do today? Do you want God to transform you by his Holy Spirit? So you'll desire to live for him. See, some people say to me, look, um, I look what Christians are like and I look what I'm like and there's no way I could be a Christian. There's no way I can do it. I just, I don't get the Bible. I don't get church. There's no way I could be a Christian. 
like you seem really nice and kind and I'm not very nice and kind. I, can't, I couldn't do it. Well, don't you understand? Um, God changes you. To invite God to transform you is to say God is going to give you a different mindset, different desires. Uh, a new life will come inside you by your Holy Spirit that will change and transform you. And my friends, you will know it. And people around you will see it when the Spirit of God comes in. If you'd like to pray with someone or talk that through with someone, there'll be a prayer team behind the, the piano there on the left-hand side. They'd be delighted to do that. And my Christian friend, if Christ is in you by the Holy Spirit, then know this. You are in Christ. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The life of the Spirit that you know within you guarantees that you will have this glorious resurrection body and the time of suffering and decay of the body will be past. The time of wrestling with our sinful nature will be past and God by His Spirit will keep you until that day. Isn't that glorious? You can see why this is so comforting and assuring. We need to remind each other of that. And that's what we're going to do with our coffee time later. Let's remind each other of that and pray for each other. Let's pray.